Please remain standing, and we will be looking at Acts 19, starting in verse 1 today. We'll pray for the Spirit's guidance. Our Lord and our God, as we open your book of life and we study the early church, let us take away the lessons that the Holy Spirit has here for us. These are the lessons for the church, the building of the church. And these lessons are timeless because your word is perfect, your scriptures are perfect. So these lessons are perfect for all times. Help me to represent you properly. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey what we learn here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 19. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. You may be seated. We'll continue on and cover the other verses as I go through the sermon. You know, the last time toward the end of uh, Acts 18... You see that Paul was heading back to Jerusalem. He was going through many of the areas that had already been preached to, and he was strengthening and speaking to those in charge there, the disciples, the elders, and the deacons that they had placed in charge. But he was heading, he wanted to go back to Jerusalem for a festival, perhaps Passover. We're not really told. But he did pass through Ephesus, And the people wanted him to stay. You know, in verse 18, 18, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay longer, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return if if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. If God wills. And God did will him to go back there. When he got to Jerusalem, that was the end of his his second missionary journey. And when we start in Acts 19... This is the start of his third missionary journey. And just a reminder, we see Paul moving about freely here. He's not being beaten. He's not being stoned. 
Again, that was because of the ruling of an ungodly man, Gallio, that God used to give Paul protection, which gave the early church protection. So Paul was staying longer in these places. It's not that some of these Jews liked them better. They were probably gritting their teeth because now they knew if they did anything to them, they'd be punished by the Romans. But it was God's hand working in this early church. Apollos was preaching in Ephesus boldly, eloquently. He was wise in the scriptures, yet ignorant concerning the baptism of Jesus. He was preaching the Old Testament baptism, the baptism of repentance. And as we'll see, either him or some of his disciples taught some of these other disciples the same thing. But notice their hearts. Apollo's heart was in the right place. He wanted to please God. He wanted to serve God. He wasn't doing it for profit. He was taking the knowledge that he had and was using it to educate others. But in God's providence, God brought Priscilla and Aquila, and they educated Apollo into a deeper truth, a more maturity. So now the church was in good hands because Apollos, an elegant teacher, was no longer ignorant concerning many of the things of God. So Paul does initiate his third missionary journey, and he's heading back to Ephesus. So with that in mind, we'll start Acts 19. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard of the Holy Spirit. So these guys may have been taught by Apollos or some of his disciples. Maybe they were taught by John. But they were immature. They were ignorant in the baptism of Jesus Christ. They never even heard of the Holy Spirit. But we see the providential hand of God bringing Paul and these disciples together. God will always complete a good work he started in people. He will bring men or women into your lives to educate you to advance you, to mature you in the things of God. And we could even be educated by dead people through their writings, their books. We have a long church history, a long church history we can study from. And in our day and age, it's easy to be educated and matured. We can listen to podcasts on our electronic devices. There's wonderful information out there. We should all be using it to mature in our faith, to challenge our beliefs that we sharpen ourselves and dig into the scriptures to see what is true. Paul finds these guys, speaks to them, and he knows that they're ignorant concerning the baptism of Jesus Christ. And he said to them, into, then, into what then were you baptized? 
They said into John's baptism. And Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, these disciples were seeking to please God. And they were open when they met a more mature Christian to learn from them, from him. And now they were confessing their faith in Jesus and they would be baptizing in the name of Jesus. That's a good lesson for all of us. All of us are on a sanctification journey. Some of us are down the road a little further than others. So we must be careful how we educate young believers, new believers, ignorant believers. It must be with patience and with love. And we must withhold judgment if we see sin in some of these young believers. We can point it out, but let the Holy Spirit work in their hearts. They'll get there. If that work is started, they will get there. They will mature. God's word is true. He will not leave them immature. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There are about 12 men in all. Here we see a great working of the Holy Spirit. These new disciples show the outward sign of being filled by the Holy Spirit by demonstrating and speaking in tongues. Now, for some in the Pentecostal movement, they believe that all believers need this. They call it a second baptism. But is that really what this verse teaches? You know, what was the great commission for the apostles? Yeah, it was to go and make disciples of all nations, but also it tells us in Acts 1.7, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That was their commission. And we see that progression here in the book of Acts, the early church. They took and shared God's message of salvation and the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the people of the known world. And in each one of these four people groups, the Holy Spirit selected to have some of them speak in tongues. Each one of these groups. Extraordinary signs for the apostolic era, the apostolic age. You know, as we've been going through these sermons on Acts, remember, there was a lot of uh, rivalry or hatred even between these group, these four groups of people. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They tolerated the Gentile believers, the proselytes. They could go into the temple of the Gentiles, but no further. 
They hated the Gentiles, Gentile dogs. One eat with them, one drink with them. The Holy Spirit was demonstrating here that all people are equal in Christ. There is no difference between the Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles. They all are under the same blessing of the Holy Spirit. It was a sign for that time, for the early church. The apostolic time, there were many miracles. We'll see later on. Paul's handkerchief, his aprons. People would take them and touch other people and they'd be healed. Peter's shadow. The apostles and the prophets were the foundations of the church. The foundation of the church. We believe and our creeds stress this that we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we are converted. The fullness of the Holy Spirit comes in us. And as we mature our lives manifest more and more holiness toward God. We'll go down this rabbit trail just a little bit yet. In Ephesians 2.18, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, this is why the demonstration of the tongues with these four people groups, they're all fellow citizens. And it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. You know, once the foundation is built, you don't have to build another foundation under a building. It's done. In this apostolic era, there were many, many miracles but it was for that time. Again, the Holy Spirit was using these apostles, was demonstrating through the use of tongues, these four people group, the unity. The unity that all who believe in Christ are on the same level, equal, playing field. Yes, our God still heals today. But it's not like it was during the apostolic era. So don't go buying these holy handkerchiefs that some of these evangelists trying to sell that have been blessed that will bring healing. It's a waste of your money. After Paul sets these new disciples on the right track, he does and goes back to the pattern that he usually does. He heads for the synagogue. Again, making plans for church planting, making plans for church outreach is a good thing, a godly thing. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, 
He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus, and continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Again, Paul uses his skills from the Old Testament to prove to these Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, something that we see a pattern in his life, and the same pattern we see some of them become stubborn and resist Paul. You know, we have that today. Some people hear the gospel message time and time again. They resist it, refuse it, will not listen to it. There will be consequences. They're offered the light of eternal life. And if they refuse it, there will be consequences. They will be lost. You cannot hear the word of God and not be changed. It will either soften your heart or harden it. Here Paul runs into some hearts who are softened. But again... Many are hardened. We don't see the outward persecution like we did in the past. They probably resorted more to what the non-believers do today. Silence, Paul. Interrupt them. Don't let them speak. Don't let the truth be heard. Sound familiar? Take you off Facebook if you disagree with the wicked's policies. Nothing changes under the sun. You see, a lie cannot stand when the truth is presented. So the only option the wicked have is to censor, quiet, get the Christians to go away. Silence the word of God. We see it today. Take Christianity out of schools. You have speakers going into these colleges. If they don't stay with the status quo of the wickedness, they're shouted down and not even be able to give their message. Nothing changes. The lie can only stand when the truth is not given. But God opens the doors. This Tyrannus, he must have been a a teacher. He had a school, a hall. Either he rented it out when he wasn't using it, or perhaps he was a disciple, opened the doors for them to use it. We see that today. We see churches meeting in many places. You know, Matt Terrell has met at the zoo for a while. I guess that's a fitting place for the church. It seems like a zoo sometimes. But, you know, but God always opens the doors, and he taught here for two years. For two years, and these Jews must have been biting their lips constantly. It says that the, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul's in Ephesus, so how did all the world hear? Well, Ephesus at that time was the capital of the Roman Empire in that area. It also was a gateway city into Asia. 
So either Paul or his disciples would make excursions into Asia, but the tradesmen who would come through Ephesus, because, because it was a gateway city, an important city, commerce would be there, people coming and going on a regular basis, and for two years they knew where they could find Paul. So they could come in and hear Paul speak every time they came into Ephesus. Many disciples, and the word spread through all of Asia. Because it was a commercial hub, an educational hub. They had the third largest library in the world at that time. So a lot of people coming and going because of the attractions there. But also it was full of idolatry as well. We see one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the great temple to Diana was in Ephesus. So Paul was right in the thick of the idolatry. A religious commercial hub. But God was opening the door. Even among all that wickedness, the church was being rooted in Ephesus. And in time, Ephesus would replace Antioch as the hub of the Christian church at that time. And I believe much of that growth was because of the apostolic era, the supernatural workings of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Now remember, all this while, Paul is a tent maker, so he's probably teaching at night, working during the day. It's hot and it's sweaty. I know I work construction. You tie handkerchiefs around your head for sweatbands. You'd, you'd go through a lot of them in a day. And either it was hanging them on the line and people were swiping or borrowing them because they know they could take them. And just because they were in contact with Paul for a while, people were being healed. Evil spirits were screaming and leaving. And there were a lot of evil spirits in there. See, the library in Ephesus, many of the books, if not most of the books, were on the occult, the dark magic practices. It was rampant in Ephesus. And many and most of the literature in that library was tied to the occult, dark magic. So these disciples would have their work cut out for them. You get a family member converted and the other family members are either demon-possessed or demon-influenced. They love their brothers, sisters, whoever, and want those demons cast out. So it's common. You know, the more pagan a nation becomes, 
the greater a power of darkness is. In our nation, one of the fastest growing religions is Satanism. You can get the literature anywhere. Occult material, any story you want. I tell you, I give a warning to the young people. Don't bring it in your house. When I studied more on this stuff years ago, how many times people got into the occult because they were young and curious and didn't know how dangerous and how powerful some of this stuff is. Many of them because they were curious about the Ouija board. Story after story of people being caught up because they were curious about the Ouija board and it opened up a door and many of them who eventually got out of it, maybe decades or multiple decades later, said they remember that one moment when their curiosity, because friends invited them to toy around with occultic materials and the Ouija board was the gateway. And now there's many other materials out there that are gateways. Don't bring it into the house. It should not be in the house. Do not touch it. You don't know how powerful that stuff is. It can ensnare you just like a python and coil around you till it squeezes your very life out of you. And that goes for adults to the electronic age. There's many things we can bring in our house that should never be in the house. You know, Christ commands us to be different. In Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellency, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. These things are godly things found in the Scriptures. There's plenty of good things in the world to focus on. Again, we must protect our minds from being polluted by the culture around us. And it's harder and harder and harder. I see where Disney is proud to say they're going to bring far more homosexual characters into their lineup at Disney World. It's hard to believe. But it's the nature of man. If God isn't influencing the culture, Satan is. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva we're doing this. High priest. I think they were, the high priest was over 24 other priests. I think that's what the number is. He should have watched his sons better. 
is from what the commentators say that these high priests were using black magic to try to help control demons and other people. They should have stuck around the synagogue more, but they were influenced by the culture. It wasn't that they were just ignorant. It was where their heart was at. They were trying to profit from being the guys in charge who could control these demons by using their chants and their charms, their incantations. But when they saw Paul and Paul's disciples consistently casting these demons out by the name of Jesus taking one of Paul's aprons or his handkerchiefs and saying, look at that guy, get out in the name of Jesus, and demons were fleeing. These guys thought, hey, that'd be good for business. We'll just add the name of Jesus into our incantations. We'll mix the profane with the godly. Be able to put more coin in our pockets. Our God will not be mocked. He will not share his glory with another. His name will not be profaned by being aligned with occultic practices. But I love how God uses these fakes to demonstrate his authority. To demonstrate what a great sin it is when we try to mix the profane with the holy. Well, people try to use God's name and they have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And they try to profit from our king. It is not a good idea. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Again, they're profaning the word of God, trying to profit by the word of Jesus Christ, No, it's a good thing to cast out demons. But they're mixing it with occultic practices. It doesn't work too well for them. Now remember when I said, don't let any of that material enter your house. Don't think you can toy with it and be strong enough to withhold the devil. Think about this. One demon. Seven guys in a room. These guys can't even get out of the room, not one of them, without getting beaten and stripped of all their clothes. By one demon. There's power 
in this occultic stuff. Don't go near it. But God's glory would not be profaned. God used this. God allowed this demon to bloody these guys, to beat them up, and I bet these guys were screaming through the street with nothing on. How much attention would that get if the mayor of Waupon had seven kids, seven sons, and they went running through the street naked? Well, might not have as much, as much effect today. I mean, you see these gay pride parades. I mean, but I mean, it'd be the talk of the town. It was here the talk of Ephesus. God used this to demonstrate His name would not be profaned. You know, and these guys being the seven sons of this Sceva guy, I mean, being of the high priest, they would be known. They're also known because it says all the, G- the Jews and the Greeks knew what happened. They're also known probably because they had a measure of success of casting out demons even before this. There is no unity between the power of darkness and the power of light. Our God hates it. He's a jealous God. This is also an example that the power that God does give us as believers. These guys walking around in the name of Jesus who loved the Lord, who had a heart for God, were casting out demons. They were doing God's will. They were changing the culture. They're changing the culture. You know, the power of God is worked through His saints. We're God's handkerchiefs. We're God's aprons. We do God's work for Him. And the world took notice. You know, it should be in prayer for our denomination. for the upcoming Senate meeting. For two years we've been fighting with the homosexual agenda in one of the churches. The profane will not prosper the church. You cannot mix it with the truth. And it is damaging the church. I've witnessed the people and talked to them and said, what church you go to? And I said, the Christian Reformed. And they say, oh, that's the church that accepts homosexuality because for two years, there's a homosexual couple that are deacons and the church has not disciplined them. Be in prayer for it. It's coming to a head. There will be a split if this continues on. There has to be. The profane and the holy cannot be united. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. God will put fear into the hearts of men when his judgment comes. 
also, when we start in verse 18, many of those who were now believers, now I want to make sure this is clear, and many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Do you see how influence the culture was with these occultic practices? Even the new believers... It says they're believers. When they saw these guys get the snot beat out of them, they're running down the street naked, they knew what they had to do. They had to mature quickly and get rid of their magic arts books. And think of the value of a book at that time. The paper was handmade, handwritten, handbound. And yet they took these magic books and cast them into a bonfire. Saints, that is how Christianity changes and affects a culture. People's eyes are open and they see the wickedness that they were, have grown up in. You know, that's a demonstration for us as well, though. Especially for people who profess Christ and we don't see much of a change in them at first. It says, with patience and perseverance, we must educate them. And in time, the Holy Spirit will they're a true believer, will change them. They will start casting off their evil practices, their sin. They'll recognize that the profane cannot be mixed with the holy. It cannot be aligned with Christianity. No, but the people of Ephesus, they saw this. And it was known. And they knew. They knew that it was the mixing of the profane with the holy that brought this about. And the true believers progressed rapidly in sanctification. They didn't want to be embarrassed by running down the street naked, I believe. But 50,000 pieces of silver tossed into the bonfire. You know, that's true conversion. So we change our lives when we get rid of the filth, the dirt, the sin in our lives. That's a demonstration of being mature and maturity growing in a people. Again, we are polluted in this nation by the many sins But it should not stop us witnessing. It can't be any worse than it was here in Ephesus. 
And yes, people will hate you. People will dislike you. Because you're challenging the culture that they live in. And sin is pleasurable for a season. They don't like giving up their sin. But for the believer, we're going to finish with this Philippians 4.8 verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When the Christian lives out his life like that, it does challenge a culture because they're living differently. And we proclaim it that we're doing it for Jesus Christ and share his message and share the message that all men are commanded to repent of these things. That is when the culture is changed. That is when we mature more in faith because there will be conflict, there will be difficulties, people will hate you. But it matures us to are we willing to love our God more than our friendship with the world? Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, as we study the example of the early church, I just pray that you give us the wisdom, the courage, and the bravery to be like these early apostles who proclaim the truth in love, knowing that it would hack off many, there would be persecution and difficulties in their lives. But they also knew that they were pleasing you, O Heavenly Father. Teach us to be such a people.